0: All right. Three, two, one.
1: I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say.
2: You've got to open your heart.
0: Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Hello and welcome to another episode of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I'm Mike Sealski from the Inquirer, joined as usual by film critic extraordinaire David Murphy from the Daily News. Um, we're going to start out today uh, not talking about the Eagles. We're going to get to them in a little while, uh, but we've got a special guest uh, and we had some breaking news on Tuesday um, that this gentleman uh, was writing about, reporting on, et cetera. Et cetera. The breaking news was that Temple football coach Matt Rule uh, had resigned to take the head coaching job at Baylor University. And our special guest is Mike Jensen from The Inquirer, wrote a column about it uh, that appeared in your editions of The Inquirer today and appeared on Philly.com on Tuesday. Mike, how are you?
1: Doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, did Let's make sure we talk about his basketball project, too. Yeah, absolutely. Mind. Yeah, let's talk about his basketball project. That sounds fascinating to yeah. me. Yeah. I'm a big hoopster. Good,
2: good, dude. The reporting starts this afternoon for me.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll get to that in a sec. Were you surprised that Matt Rule made this move?
2: No. Uh, was I surprised that Baylor was the ultimate destination? Yes. Did I think that as soon as he got an offer that he couldn't refuse, he would not refuse it? Uh, I, I thought that was I- inevitable. Uh I, the, the, after the fact, you look back and you say, well, th- there are reasons why Baylor would throw extra money at Matt Rule. S- you know, scandal-ridden program, squeaky clean coach. Uh, I, I, I get it. I was still surprised that, you know, no Texas recruiting ties, you know, sort of the X and O factors of uh, college football, that, that he was the guy. But, you know, I, th- I think because of the scandal, if there had been no scandal, there would be no Matt Rule at Baylor. But he was – he was ready for a job that uh, Temple could not match salary-wise.
0: I can see Murph chomping at the bit to get into the Temple football future. Well, no, I was—I was
1: actually <laughs> going to say, I mean, the offer he couldn't refuse. Are you telling me there wasn't money? It was a horse head in his bed <laughs> that that put this over the top? Because if so, uh, I might need to rewrite. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Uh, it Was it a Mustang? Was it an MS- SMU Mustang? No. That, Cartoon. That would, that would Cartoon. <laughs> I have no idea what that... That's the name of the horse. How do you remember this stuff? Because
0: it's one of the five you greatest what, man, movies ever made. Hello.
1: I think you're special. I'm like, touched. in a good way. In I'm a good touched. way. Yeah. But I think that you're misusing your talents in the newspaper industry.
0: It could be. It could be. Stand-up comedy may be where it's at for me. So before we get into what Temple does not next... Not stand-up tweeting, please. No, definitely not. Um, he
1: always sits when he tweets.
0: I do. Um, the, the curious part of this to me, and I heard, I think it was Charles Davis from Fox talking about this yesterday, and it was exactly what I was thinking, which is the Big 12 is a fi- offensive fireworks kind of conference. It is spread offense, put up points. Am I wrong? That's that's kind of how it is, correct? Correct. So I think, Matt, it's, I think we, it's more they don't play defense, okay. at least from watching so, Texas yeah. this year. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> if it's that, I'm just curious from a stylistic standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, how does Rule fit? Is he breaking from what the rest of the conference does just by coaching defense? Is he going to you know go full spread on offense? Does that depend on who he brings along and hires with him? Like, How do you see him fitting into the conference?
2: I, th- I think that is number seven on the list of reasons uh, that, that th- th- they hire somebody like that. I mean, he has first has to, you know, they, they've got one recruiting commitment, so he's got to go out <laughs> and find talent. Then he's got to look at that talent and see how he can use it on the field. Can he use it in the same way? I mean, let me put it this way. When he got to Temple, he thought he was going to be a spread coach. Hmm. Uh, the, the president of the university announced, oh, we're going to be wide open. Well, and, and I had a good conversation with last year's offense coordinator who said, you know, we tried that, and but we didn't really believe in it. That's not the way we came up. So we so it just wasn't – it was a bad marriage. So we switched to, like, grind it out, play defense, win football games that, that way. And you can't tell me that if Jim Harbaugh, who – plays that way at Stanford and the 49ers and Michigan went to the Big 12, that suddenly he would be wide open and, and you know, effective or ineffective. I think, you know, good football still works. Uh, you know, they just happen to have hired a bunch of these wide open guru guys, you know, all over the place. Uh, and, you know, it works until it doesn't work, until defense is figured out, then it goes down in flames.
1: Murph? And his name is Rule, which is pretty much – what they need at this point in the baylor football program (laughs) i mean who else was even in the who who else would have even does that mean
0: they're going to break him within the next two years (laughs) but
1: but in all seriousness what were who were some other candidates for that job who would have even been willing to take on a uh project
2: yeah well that that's an issue and obviously you know son of a church of a nazarene minister i mean that goes over big down there you know they'll they're already saying down there. Well, I think he took our job because he's a good Christian man. <laughs> you know, instead of Oregon. You know, he didn't want that that heathen Phil Knight money exactly. out in Oregon. You know, so you know, I I, I don't know. I wasn't following the, the the Baylor search to see you know which guys were 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 perfect for it. Your point is a very good one. It's a it's a tough job. I mean, they're overpaying you know Temple's coach to take the job. So that tells you you know
1: what what the field was. And. I would say from Rule's perspective, it probably gives him as much leeway and margin for error as as any place would have given him at his next stop. I mean, that, you know, Absolutely. as long as they don't go back on probation within four years, I would assume that he, you know, and show at least marginal progress. You know, whereas at Texas, if you're Charlie Strong, yeah, you better win.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're supposedly giving him, you know, we haven't nailed it down whether it's six years or seven years, but they're giving him extra years and extra dollars and he's a very strategic thinker and I I, you know would talk to him a little bit last year about you know why he was talking to Missouri and not talking to Maryland and I firmly believed you know he was smart enough not to be talking to Rutgers and even Maryland he said now they're going to add another Big Ten game which means sort of a you know potential loss instead of an automatic win and if you're good you're mediocre. Well, mm-hmm. that's not the kind of job he wanted. If Virginia Tech had called him, I'm sure he would have listened and I, I, he would have taken the job. But he, it was, it's, it is kind of fascinating that you on the on the scope of it, you say, well, Oregon's a better job than than Baylor, and you think, okay, well, and Phil Knight can throw whatever he wants at him, but I think he is, again,
0: Phil, is Phil Knight still involved with Oregon to the extent he was. I thought he kind of washed his hands. No, again, but, you no, know, no, that, he owns Oregon. Okay, no, no.
2: no, I think he's still on the headset. Because they just
0: didn't they just sign with Under Armour? No. Am no. I wrong about that? Okay. No, I thought working. I had heard that. Okay. No.
2: That I mean, well, yeah. No, okay. F- no, Phil Knight's still the guy. Okay. I mean, he literally is on the headsets. Can hear the plays. He can't. Gotcha. He can't call the plays. He can't talk into it. But okay. He, but he hears them in real time. Uh, but so he can throw the money at it. But I think uh, Rule was able to look at exactly what Dave was talking about. You know. He's got he's got some rope here, so that's not a terrible situation for a, for a coach to be in. When at Oregon, they're like, "Hey, you know, Chip won. Okay, the last guy stunk. Let's you know, you're supposed to win. Let, let let's do it." And in the meantime, Washington now is really good, and USC is good, and UCLA could be really good next year if they get the quarterback back. And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, this Baylor doesn't look so bad. And they're gonna they're gonna pay me uh, you know, twenty million more. Okay, let's do it."
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing that's fascinated me about Rule since he since he really kind of burst onto the scene in that third year uh, when they beat Penn State w- was his trajectory, and even more so now reminds me a little bit of uh, another coach who did a stint in the NFL and then took over a scandal-plagued program in Bill O'Brien. Right uh, now, I know Rule only did a year with the Giants, uh, but you know O'Brien was only with the Patriots for for a few years. Um, and then uses the Penn State job to kind of become yeah. the highest no, I, coach I, in the I land. Yeah. Do, do you see, foresee that? Like, Matt Rule has always kind of struck me as an NFL demeanor type of guy. Do you think he wants to go to the NFL, or do you think he's a college coach? Um, I,
2: I think that the
1: NFL got
2: on his radar, and he got on the NFL's radar at, at the end of last season. And, I, I I you know, he's an ambitious guy. He's a football coach. So, A, you know, what's the best job? Well, who's paying you the most money? Okay, now he's getting that, that – that big money uh so maybe that's a little less of a factor so but i I am with you that if if this thing's a mess three years from now on the other hand he might not be the hot coach but no he he's he's a good manager so he can you know see see the world and, and he could manage an nfl team i mean you you guys see you know the the things that nfl head coaches have to do it's, it's it's not about being an x and o technician unless you choose to make yourself the offensive coordinator or the defensive coordinator
1: yeah he just never struck me as a guy that would like recruiting just strikes me as the absolute i don't know why anybody would ever right. want to be in the position of having to walk into a 17 year old's right. living room and beg him mm-hmm. to yeah. come to your school and i you know, when Chip Kelly says he's not going back to college, I don't necessarily believe it now that he's yeah, yeah. kind of falling flat on his face. But but I really do believe he's the kind of guy that would not enjoy right. lowering himself to but that. But the
0: flip side of that is Rule strikes me as the kind of guy – who I don't know if he enjoys it or not, but he'd be really good at he it. He was really good yeah. at it. He's
2: the kind of salesman, you know, you see different kind of salesmen, the, the kind of salesman that you know, okay, that's that's some good snickels you're selling right there, <laughs> yeah. and, and rules the other guy. It's like, okay, this is kind of real, what he's selling, but he's selling it. He's yeah. selling it hard, and he's selling it to kids, and he was the recruiting coordinator. Yeah, he, so he is a salesman. Uh, he's he's just good at it because there's some meat on the bone that he's selling, uh, But he, so I, I don't think he has burned out as many coaches do yet on that recruiting aspect, whether, you know, big 12, Texas football, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that. Yeah. The first six out. hour
0: drive from, uh, you know, the middle of the state to the middle of the state, you know, we'll see or, how he feels. Yeah.
2: Or just you know, like, uh, yeah, here, here are the boosters and here's the competition yeah. boosters.
1: But there's also a ton of possibility there because, and, and I'm sure Baylor saw this as well, which is why it's, a, it's a fascinating opportunity because you're going to be able to walk into kids living rooms this year and say, look, man, you know, Texas, their last their last decade. Mm-hmm. You know, that you know, they've got a new coach. They don't you don't have anybody you're going up against there. Houston just
0: lost its just head lost coach.
1: its head coach. Has someone gotten fired yet or did he get another year somehow? Uh no, he's
2: still there. He's isn't?
1: still there, but the Houston
2: coach went to Texas, Texas. and he's he's really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, Texas yeah. didn't want Matt Rule, they wanted Tom Herman. But at least he's Houston, recruiting but, against yeah. a,
1: he's recruiting against a guy who is on his, is yeah, he was coaching against last yeah, year. Yeah, you know? sure.
2: But sure. I, I, I know what you're saying. That that it, you know, Oklahoma is is Oklahoma, but they're not, you know, vaunted Oklahoma top range there. And there, there are a lot of players in Texas. He'll 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 get players. Maybe
0: you don't know this yet. What sense do you get? There's some things you don't know, Mike. I know you like I don't think you know everything.
1: Um, he knows everything. That's why they keep him locked in the yeah. locked in the basement.
0: <laughs> do you get a sense from people at Temple that they regard this? losing rule as just a speed bump in terms of where the program is hey we'll get somebody else in here full steam ahead or is there any anxiety about hey we lost a really good coach and now we better make sure we I mean obviously they want to hire a good coach but that they run the risk of you know having what what they've built over the last few years fall apart.
2: I think there is massive anxiety Okay. Uh, I don't think that they are unrealistic that you can just hire some guy and trot out 10 wins mm-hmm. uh they, they know they work in a tough place because they work there uh they they know that you know the stadiums you know i mean i just wrote a place about basically the last couple of months have been a you know yet more reality checks for temple that you know the big 12 didn't even consider them you know a semi-finalist yeah. in their dog and pony bs show that never came to anything uh and you know matt rule you know, showed them where they were in, in the place. So these guys work there. They know how hard it is to get people into the place. And and by the way, you know, I mean, I, I covered the team in the, the doggiest dog, dog yeah. days yeah. where literally, you know, I've said this before when there was a, you know, a full section in the stands at the vet, you know, Ron Dickerson's first year, I grabbed my notebook and said, what are you guys doing here? And, <laughs> it, and it was, you know, school children on a bus that oh. had been given a lunch and put on the bus and didn't know where they were going. Oh you know, that God. was, that was back in those days. This isn't those days, you know. This this days when they say they have 28,000, they're they're it's not that they have 12,000, it's that they have 21,000 mm-hmm. in, in in the place. That's sort of for a, you know, nondescript opponent. They certainly had better crowds than that in some other games.
1: The good news is that, as I read on Philly.com at the moment, uh, well Jensen Temple is facing reality checks is obviously the headliner, but right beneath it Rule thanks Temple fans in full page ad in Inquire. I don't know about you guys. I'm going grocery shopping on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a turkey in the pot at Christmas, boys. <laughs> oh, <laughs>
2: oh, and I mean, how many people are going to read this and just be tearful? You know, I mean, yeah. you know, they've just recovered from the Jimmy Rollins you know, know. tribute and in, Cole in, Hamels in and
0: yeah, yeah, I mean,. Yeah. We, we are we are where you know you go when you want to weep over a departing sports figure. Clearly. Marjorie,
1: is it is it a silent H?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hroll? <laughs> is he a German? <laughs> Oh, by the way,
2: I got an email from a woman today, <laughs> which I certainly will not identify her because she was I read your column saying he should go to Notre Dame and please don't write that because we want him to stay. And I just, I had to email her back and break her the news. She, yeah, hadn't, uh, she, hadn't, she hadn't gone and gotten to the paper.
1: Uh,
0: gosh, gosh.
1: I guess she's not on Twitter. Exactly.
0: So who's Temple going to hire? I know you wrote that uh, they should look at Charlie Strong. Yeah, um, they
1: should look strongly at Charlie Strong. strong
0: Which would strong. make
2: a ton of sense. Yeah, it, it, the only problem is it makes a ton of sense now at South Florida because mm-hmm. they just lost their coach this morning to, to, to Oregon, Willie yep. Taggart. I believe
1: yeah. Stan Heath has actually endowed that uh, <laughs> coaching position. <laughs> 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 I was actually working at the St. Petersburg Times when the, uh, the USF Bulls hired Stan Heath to replace oh, somebody uh, after his— uh,
2: We are silently shaking our heads. After, after the end at Arkansas. Yeah, anyway, yeah.
1: that's my Stain Heath moment. Yeah, yeah. And so,
2: yeah, Char- Charlie Strong is, is, is real. He's already gotten his big paycheck from Texas. And, and a mm-hmm. lot of these guys, people say, oh, go back to being a coordinator. A lot of them don't want to be coordinators. He's been right. a head coach at, at two places and was, was good at it at one place and, you know, thrown into a fire pit that he did not survive at Texas. Uh, you know, does he want to come to to Temple? I don't know. They should find out. That's not my job. It's their job to figure out. I threw Joe Moorhead's name in. I mean, mm-hmm. he's the Penn State offense coordinator. Who a year ago, if you said you were hiring the Fordham coach, people would have said, "What are you doing that for?" Well, right. it's the same guy. Uh, he's 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 really good. Now, it's Joe Moorhead, who's getting paid well at, at Penn State, want to want to take a slight salary raise to to go to Temple when he's you know very good at his job and could probably get a power five head job out of it you know in the in the near future you know maybe yeah not. i would
0: think at this point james franklin would be hanging by joe moorhead's ankles like please don't go please yeah, stay yeah, another year no, please.
2: He's, he's to me he's the he's the the key to to the turnaround yeah. i give franklin credit for i don't think you know for joe targeting moorhead, him and bringing yeah, him yeah joe moorhead wasn't wasn't foisted on him he he realized uh, he had an issue that was going to cost him his job and, and went out and solved it.
1: So, so the question I guess I have is, does this cause Temple at all to reevaluate its five to 10 year plan? Because it, now I know a lot, it, it's tough to take everything at face value that, that they say publicly. And, and I know there's still some you know leverage issues with, with Lincoln Financial Field. And it's still hard for me to believe that, Anybody at Temple can honestly believe that they would be an attractive school to one of these Power Five conferences, at least more attractive than, you know, a Houston or something like that. But everything they say indicates that that is an objective of theirs. Is is and that's still the case when what, they can't seem to keep a coach around for more than four years.
2: And, and yeah, and and that's a good ch- question, and that's why I you know use the word reality check, use that phrase. Uh, and, and I mean because they saw where the you know how highly the the big 12 thought of them and i I put in the piece that i mean the 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 window that that i see is if you know all these tv contracts if everything gets debundled and you know the acc network literally has to go out and sell itself that they're just not part of a cable package and they say well the fourth largest tv market would make sense i'm not even saying temple's an automatic even in that case right and i i wrote by, if they build a football stadium, it would actually open the door for the ACC to go to Villanova and say, "Why don't you play one a football and, and go to the link?" And Villanova could consider it because they've got a you know obviously it's the, a good point. The, yeah, the, it, I'm not sure Villanova would even want to do it. They're in a decent place themselves. But this debundling is almost the only thing I I, I can really see because I, I don't know that any, anyone's looking to go you know leave the ACC. So yeah, you're you're, you're well. Let's you're, talk about that. Cause, right, because Temple's in this this tough netherworld where, you know, they have a license to lose money.
1: Well, let's get a really big picture then, because this to me is the most interesting part about college sports, and it's to me why Temple has just been embarking on a fool's errand, particularly in this economy. You know, I just don't think now in America is the time to be taking on massive amounts of capital construction debt Right. Uh, right. when you're a school like Temple. Um, but e- even more so, it just seems self-evident to me that at some point, the top, the Power Five is going to sign its own TV contract, shut all the rest of the schools out, and, and everyone who's outside of the Power Five is, is going to be essentially begging for crumbs. Is that ill? Is that is that just me?
2: It's already happened. It's already happened. Those deals have already been signed. Uh, that they, they, I mean, those other schools print money, and anyone outside the Power Five loses money. So, so I don't think they have to formalize it because they're happy to sign up some wins. With with a non power five. They don't want to be too much of a cartel and lose certain things. They don't want Congress sniffing around them too much. Uh, so I think and there's there's NCAA basketball issues. So I think it's kind of working about the way they want it to work. You know, the Big Ten network does what it wants and, and you know, and that's the only reason Rutgers isn't there. But big I'm
1: talking team. about a nat- I'm thinking like a, a national Saturday night like like I just think college football would be such a better product if let me rewind. I don't think college football is a tremendously interesting and compelling product at this point. The games last four and a half hours, um, you know, and, and more often than not, you get, what, 10 good matchups a season where if you were to condense everything into, like, a 40- or 50-team Super League, you would be able to sell, like, a Monday night football, Sunday night football level package that would – I mean, we're, we're talking about billions and billions and billions of dollars. Um, yeah. that, that's just – that. that's where my rationale I mean, comes it, from.
2: And it's an interesting thought, and then it brings up that if you – Take it to its extreme. You know how to make the absolute most money out of it. Then, then you you run into issues that you're you know you're not even trying to be anything but a professional operation. Right. right. So so you know they have sort of scammed, uh, you know America on on that so far. And so so I think and I still think they can. The way they can sell it is they can sell all these rivalries that the mm-hmm. SEC still matters and the Big Ten still r- matters and the politicians are willing to go for it and everyone and the public is certainly willing to go for it. And while in the Northeast, you know, it, it is secondary to professional football by just, you know, beyond miles uh, in, in other regions, it is, it is in fact religion and they don't want to mess with, with religion.
1: I guess it would be like Ted Turner said, it wasn't that Ted Turner during uh, one of the CBA negotiations? Gentlemen, we've got the only legal no- monopoly in America and we're messing it up. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the it. truth.
0: Yeah. yeah. But I mean I I think But that's the culture, I mean, yeah. the cultural thing that you bring up is real and it's that's a big factor. I mean, that is, you know, that that sense of like it's the one intangible sort of thing about college football to me, that sense of not wanting to mess that up, you know, the 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 Ole Miss tradition and the rivalries of the SEC and the rivalries of the Big Ten and all that. Yeah, like that.
2: And, and and it's run by college presidents who throw on the veneer of, you know, we want to be research one, yeah. two, three. I don't know even know what the categories are, and these are like-minded institutions, and, you know, while they're obviously doing it to, to, to print money. Uh, so I, I, I think they they feel like they've got their own – pretty good thing going and these schools like temple are on the outside just scratching they thought they had had found their way in, in the big east and the basketball school said not so fast and and all these football schools that could get out got out and uh, you know and here temple is again and, and, and when you asked mike about uh, you know are they aware of it i think they are keenly aware of mm-hmm. the, the landscape i don't think they are privately completely delusional i think they were i think they were privately delusional about the big 12 i was mm-hmm. sort of surprised i was like <laughs> why, yeah. why 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 yeah. are you even talking they're gonna right. they're gonna fly over everywhere to get to get to philly to, to for, for who for what
0: yeah
1: Well, maybe they'll at a skype interview next time instead of a or did they get the skype interview this time temple uh, with the big 12 I oh okay i thought, you, I thought sure. you meant
0: us with mike jensen like <laughs> you didn't like having him in the room
1: no 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 the temple the whole temple being considered for uh oh gotcha yeah i i just know tulane was still in the mix when temple had already been Oof. cut wow Oof-ta. well they did produce sean king
0: they did they did
1: where, where do you see this going i mean do you is temple just going to be what temple is at this point um and is that still
2: I mean the stadium thing still fascinates me cuz I don't get the finances of it. I don't I don't feel like I always expected that they were really using it for leverage with the Eagles and and but they didn't do that in any real way. So I I came to believe and came to be right to believe that no, they were they wanted to build a stadium. They didn't they, they didn't want to use it for leverage. They wa- the leverage they wanted was to say, look at what the e- Eagles are trying right. to do to us using that as leverage for public opinion saying this is the only way we can go uh and you know and I wrote the piece today you know y- you've written terrifically on the subject uh, I, I mean I, I wrote just a paragraph today saying you know if they can build a stadium in Philadelphia for 150 million you know that that would be, you know quite 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 a feat so
1: even the, the, the they have convinced it'll cost 150 million just to get the comp the permits yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, and and those aren't on the books though. Yeah,
2: yeah. and and they're you know they're waiting for Daryl Clark, the city council president. I mean, it's you know nothing oh. happens until that street closes. Uh, I was
0: going to say they're going to it's 150 million for the for the police officers to redirect traffic so they can deal with would, the parking. I'm
1: <laughs> I'm completely serious on this. This would make a fascinating season of The Wire, actually. It would.
0: It absolutely would. It absolutely would. You know, Mayor. Maybe uh, we
1: should maybe we should be doing this. You and I should be getting together and writing a TV show.
0: Should we? uh uh, get Inclu- David Simon on the podcast, you think?
1: Uh, and give him a- give away our idea.
0: Well, he can help us kind of flesh it out. I mean, we don't I, need help. I'd I do that. you would I,
2: take I, David Simon as your executive producer. You would give yeah. him oh, seventy exe- percent yeah. of cut. <laughs> executive
1: producer. If he's gonna give us money to bankroll it. That's one thing.
0: Well, he's you know, he's a he's a um, you know, public good kind of guy. Like maybe he'd give some of the, give us some of the money back, like, you know, spread it out, you know, sort of thing. You know, who knows?
1: I'm not doing this for public good. I'm doing this. For, <laughs> I'm doing. I'm doing this for private gain.
0: Mike, tell us about your basketball project.
1: Yeah, and, and just to entertain myself.
2: I thought, uh, let me write about a year of Philadelphia basketball. Uh, and I started out. I was like, I'll write one a day. And then I then I calmed down. I'll write. <laughs> I'll write a two hundred part series. Then then I talk to people and I calm down a little more. So now it's a it's a hundred part series, which okay. means two stories a week. Uh, it's and really
1: it, a hundred part series. Yeah, it's wow. two
2: stories a week. That's the that's the idea. And if if I'm busy with something else or I'm on vacation, then it's three stories some other time. And and you know when it's I go, a, to,
1: it's gonna be a ten year project. But yeah, <laughs> no. yeah, right, right. No December, there're gonna be eighty stories. <laughs> no, next we December. can't lay Jensen off. He still hasn't finished <laughs> that basketball <laughs> project.
0: <laughs> Brilliant, actually. Uh, Mike, we really need you to take the buyout, Mike. No, Mike, Mike. <laughs> you, at, can't go Stur- eight, you can't I'm go to you can't go playground man. today, Mike. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So, so the idea is soup to nuts. You know, men, women, C Y O refs getting yelled at. Trust the process. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, heading down to Newman Garetti today to talk to uh, their their top basketball players and and get get started. And uh, you know, just try to capture the landscape as it is. I don't want a history lesson. I want to sit there and interview people about what it was. Uh, I want scenes from today.
1: That's fast. When's the first one run? Do you know? Uh,
2: probably you know January second, third, fourth, fifth. guess. So
1: that's great. Looking forward to it, man. What do, What do you think the the common, uh, nar- you know, big picture? I don't want to use the word narrative. Somebody told us we use the word narrative way too much on yeah. this podcast, <laughs> which I'm sure is true because I use it way too much in my writing. But what is the common thread that ties the whole? Broader well, story together. I, I mean, that unites the piece.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just Philadelphia is unique in its connections, in its common threads. Uh, that you know, you know, Joey Crawford knows that CYO co- coach, referee, parent getting yelled at. He might even be the one doing the yelling at the at, <laughs> the, at the ref and just hashtag pure So And I'm not going to force any of these these threads. So you know, it, it's it's just sort of like real sport in this town where i i don't think any other city quite has what uh, this this one has that it has all the elements uh, and that's that's the idea of
1: it yeah cuz i mean you look at new york and obviously that's the famous playground city but it doesn't have the co- a it doesn't have the college scene necessary that, necessarily that that you know i know st johns was you have a right. few Big blips to,
0: with st johns but, but not since the 50s but I yeah they been, bring
1: things into the garden but they don't
2: they don't have it all over the but place. but i right.
1: think with the thing with philly and i think it's really honestly probably the thing that is the thing in everything in philly is that it's so condensed land what geometric or uh, geographic geographically mm-hmm. I put the emphasis on the wrong <laughs> syllable uh, you, you know the population density and the neighborhood density is such where you know strawberry you can drive from strawberry mansion to you know South Philly to St. Joe's Prep in like the same evening. You know, whereas New York, that'll cost you eight hundred dollars in tolls, you know?
2: Yeah. And 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 in that space, everyone knows each other. Right. You know, I'm at right. I'm at the palestra the other night and, you know, Villanova's chaplain is talking to myself and, you know, Dan Harrell from Southwest Philly, who got a pen degree while he was sweeping the sweeping floors the floor. at Penn. And then Notre Dame Harvey comes over to join the conversation, and it's just it's it's unique that way. But I don't want it to be just, you know, glorifying all all that. I you know I want to write the, you know the, the scene as it is is today at 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 all levels.
0: Good luck with it. We'll be reading. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'll even listen. We didn't get a chance to discuss movies with him. Jensen's a, a, a I'm not sure he's as big a movie guy you know, a little godfather uh, a little bit of godfather a little bit uh, but no American Beauty I got did, did you get feedback on American Beauty because I got people like emailing me about our our uh, infatuation with this film
1: uh, I did in fact I got one of the best emails I've ever gotten or received I should say Has gotten a word yeah we need to bring the, back the uh, Murphy word of the day segment too <laughs> it was great He was. it was a nice email he's, he uh and he, and he listens so i assume he's listening now but he uh it was like one of those emails where i wasn't really sure how to read it he said uh he said something like the the uh, american the american beauty stuff was good but indulgent even by your standards <laughs> <laughs> and i was like he's got a point
0: yeah i i tell people that uh sometimes you know when we do the podcast i'm just along for the ride um when when Murph does Murph but, it, uh, it's not a very. That's what makes it great.
1: It can, it, it's not a very fun ride. Oh, he did say he he listens for you mostly too.
0: Ah, so. well, that's nice. Um, so.
1: Which I fully expect.
0: Yeah. Um. So we move from Matt Rule to the other football coach in town, uh, Doug Peterson, who did something unusual Monday, and I haven't decided yet whether it's. I think I've decided that it shows kind of how confident he is in a weird way. Uh, he went out Monday, you know, 24 hours after the Eagles had gotten, and you know, thrown up all over themselves against the Cincinnati Bengals, and uh, admitted that some of his players were not giving full effort. This, of course, was fodder for talk radio and Twitter discussion for you know 48 hours thereafter, and is still being discussed. Um, and I kind of took it as, because earlier in his in his meeting with the media, he had said he fully expects and and that. Jeffrey, Lur- Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman have assured him that he's going to be back next year. Um, and so I took this as, okay, this is a coach who feels pretty confident that he can say something like this because generally when coaches say things like this, it does not reflect well on them. Um, Did you know?
1: he say No, I was not at the press conference. Mm-hmm. Did he say it? How did he say it? I guess is did he say it as if he was surprised that the question was being even being
0: asked? He had said earlier in the press conference that he felt like all his players were giving full effort, and mm-hmm. then later in the press. But conference, I'm am
1: t- talking about the asking about his job security.
0: Yeah, he, no, he said it as if he were surprised they were being asked. Okay. He was. He seemed genuinely like, of course, I'm going to be back. Okay. Like, and it it, it led me. To, it it was very difficult to come away from that, thinking that at this point he has some kind of doubt about whether he'll be back. Now that may change in the next four weeks, but at this point I think he's very confident he'll be back next season. I'll
1: be honest, and I wrote this, you know, in a kind of backhanded way because I didn't know I was writing one day and I had Mm -hmm. to write a column at 8 (laughs) o'clock. But, like, I'm surprised it's even a question. And, And I'm surprised, and therefore I'm tremendously surprised that people seem to be talking about it as if it's like a, you know, 50-50 proposition, like, oh my, they have to think about firing well,
0: this guy. Well, th- this gets to what I wrote off of that Monday right. press conference, which is, I think the reason it's a question is because Jeffrey Lurie fired Chip Kelly, you know, less than a year after giving him total control and having him go six and nine. And, nice. you know, my feeling is that if you're going to do that, and again, we've talked about this before, if you're going to do that, you've got to give any coach, but particularly one as an orthodox as Kelly and is supposedly forward thinking, you've got to give him time to, to see what he can do, you can't give him just one year. So, because Lurie fired Kelly after that short period of time, it kind of throws the issue of Doug's future into question, which is well, if he only gave Chip one year in total control, what is the standard by which you wouldn't fire Doug after this year? If you perceive, and this is debatable as you've written, if you perceive that Carson Wentz is not getting better, if you perceive that he's quote unquote lost the locker room and players aren't playing hard, what is the logic by which you say, okay, well we fired Chip, but we're going to keep Doug when we're when it even though it seems like things aren't heading in the right direction?
1: Well, I mean the logic is it's his first year. I mean how many coaches have ever been fired after their first year?
0: Uh, Jim, Tom, Sula, Rob Chudzinski. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else. How many? How many?
1: How many that have won five games, five out of
0: um well Tom Sula went five and eleven. Chadzinski was I don't know what he was with Cleveland, three and thirteen, two and fourteen, something. Yeah, like I mean 10. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. And, but and, and, and believe me, I'm not suggesting that, that it should happen. I'm not suggesting that Lurie should. No, I'm I under, I, just, I yeah, completely understand what you're saying. Yeah. Doing. I'm just saying that it throws it, it, it brings the question to the forefront because you're saying to yourself, Well, Chip Kelly went ten and six and ten and six and then did not get any grace period at all for six, and nine under total control. So, if that's the standard now, are you are you not judging them by the same standard? And if not, why not? Um, you know, and that's it. I mean, I, I think I would be stunned if he fired if they fired Doug. Um, and I would think it was a mistake because coaches learn on the job. He, you know, regardless of what you think about him this year, and there's varying degrees of, hey, he's doing as good a job as possible with what he's got with the hand he's been dealt, and hey, this team should have seven wins if only he hadn't made some cockamamie decisions in games. Um, you know, it's very possible that he improves as a coach. So why eliminate that possibility?
1: Yeah, I, like there's two different aspects to this this question. And let me make it clear that criticism of Doug Peterson and the job he's done this year is not unwarranted. Right. You know, there's, there have definitely been some moments where you say you can't coach like that in the NFL? You know, the challenge again—the yeah. one that jumps out at me above all else—is yeah. is the challenge against screen uh, Bay. You know, and and they also—you know—that Dallas game. Yeah, the you definitely look up back at the on end, that green, one and say, player. yeah, yeah, you know, maybe the coach cost them that one. Um, but like, I wonder if we would even be having this conversation if they didn't start three and zero. Yeah, and I think that's what you know, and I think you took some heat after they started 3-0 for saying, you know, let's relax a little yeah. bit. Um, but this is why people in the media, or, or at least certain people in the media, say, hey, just, just to remind everybody, enjoy it, enjoy it, but let's just get this out there that, like, this could go bad and, and you can't all of a sudden hold people up to these unrealistic expectations. that you. I, I think that's the problem we have in Philadelphia. And I riffed a, riffed a little bit on, on Twitter the other night, um, you know, because of the criticism – not necessarily. Mostly of Doug Peterson. Like mm-hmm. I think the Ertz criticism is warranted, mm-hmm. but I think that we 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 have such high expectations. Yeah. it's not even expectations. Like, and I wrote about, we've talked about this. Like yeah. I think that there's this like destructive, op, unrealistic op- optimism. optimism yes. Like like Philadelphia has this place as being a negative, pessimistic place, but the real the reality is you know, people talk by the start of every Eagle season, people talk themselves into thinking that, you know,
0: Zach Ertz is, Zach all Ertz pro, is Rob Gronkowski. Right. Like it's not just right.
1: enough to be like, ah, Zach Ertz, you know, solid player, mm-hmm. second round pick, whatever. You know, it's gotta be like, dude, yo, I would take Ertz over off. Yo, call Rudolph uh, right. uh, over off. You know, it's like Tyler right. Eifert. Sam Bradford like, ha-
0: you know, Sam Bradford has to be the worst right. quarterback ever. Yeah. Because he's not the best quarterback ever.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, um, like Vinnie Curry to me is the ultimate example mm-hmm. of this where everyone's oh dude, dude Vinnie Curry just got you just gotta put him in the game, man. Guy I, I seen him, man. Reggie White, yo, yo, this guy could be Reggie White. Well, guess what? Like a third coach has attempted to use Vinnie Curry and a third coach <laughs> has has, <failed>. has decided <laughs> that he is just a situational pass rusher and nothing more. And, and, and I think people understand that their expectations of Vinnie Curry now are, you know, demonstrably false. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that they get that with, like, Zach Ertz and Doug P It's like, like, dude, you just got to, like, sometimes you just got to say, hey, we'll see how good this guy is. And mm-hmm. I think Carson Wentz might, might start to deal with the blowback at some point. And I think Donovan McNabb was plagued by this yes. because, you know, Donovan McNabb, people talked themselves into believing he was going to be this transcendent, transcendent Hall of Fame, multi-Super Bowl winning player after, you know, 2000, 2001, and when he, you know, he did not live up to that, shockingly, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden he's a bu- he's he's uh, you know as long as he's not McNabb, I, I love Wentz. You yeah. know, like that's like the criticism of Peterson that says we didn't want another Andy Reid is to me the ultimate Philadelphia criticism yes. because it's like yo, you didn't you don't want a court a coach that leads you to you know four or five NFC Championship games and right. a Super Bowl. Like I get it. I guess all the criticism of Doug Peterson I respond to with if if in ten years like. These things are still going on as they were with Andy Reid, and the Eagles have gone four and twelve, and the team has quit on them, and yet they haven't been, you know, won a playoff game since mm-hmm. X. Okay, then let's talk. But right. like, this is the guy's first, and I think, at least I read it in the transcript. I, I, I projected some incredulity, incredulity into his voice, because he 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 said like, hey, we're we're talking about a guy's career, you yeah, know? like this is the first, like you guys were asking me when we traded Sam Bradford, why we were giving up on the season. And now at five and seven, you're asking me why we're not seven and five. It doesn't make sense. And it's, it's not just fans and it's, it's not all fans, but no. it, but the media, a lot of the times leads the way. I mean, yeah. it, like that. Like we can't, you know, compartmentalize in Philadelphia. Like, every story's got to be on Nelson Aguilar the week that Nelson Aguilar, like, <laughs> has a meltdown. It's not just like, like, in other cities, it's like, oh, did you see what the uh, second string underwhelming receiver said? Oh, uh, yeah, you know, what a baby. Mm-hmm. Here, it's like, Nelson Aguilar watch day three. Well,
0: it's it's funny has to say that. Has he checked that. in I, to Einstein yet? I've shared this anecdote a couple of times. One of my good friends um, from when I worked in New York and covered the New York Jets is Brian Costello from the New York Post. So I saw Brian um, before the season began at the Eagles-Jets preseason game, last preseason game of the year. He drives down 95 from North Jersey to cover the game. And we're walking out of the link after the game, and he said, explain something to me. I said, okay. He's like, it's baseball season here too, right? I said, yeah. He's like, the Phillies are playing actual games, right? I said, yeah. He said, "Well, then explain to me why when I had the two talk stations in town on my radio, one after the other as I drove down 95, one station is talking about who the backup right tackle is going to be, and the other station's worried about, you know, who the third string running back is going to be." He said, "You know, in 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 his world, he's like, "And I cover, he's like, "I cover the Jets. I've covered them for a while. Like I write the quarterback, I write the coach, and I write the other superstars on the team." He's like, I don't write the backup right tackle. I don't worry about who the third wide receiver is going to be, and that's but that's Philadelphia to a T at its core. It is the Eagles above everything, and let us, let us, um, and it gets to your point about being unable to kind of take the longer view. Like I think part of it is the nature of media nowadays, obviously Twitter, and kind of chops things up in such a way that something that isn't that big a deal becomes an incredibly big deal. You know that um, this one quote from Nelson Aguilar right. or Doug Peterson becomes a huge thing because it gets 25 retweets, and we we lose. You know we we See, lose the forest for the trees. I
1: disagree. I disagree about the social media aspect, though. Okay. It. And I was thinking about. This. I mean, that's a
0: it's a Philadelphia thing too, but I think the social media part of it exacerbates. It, it.
1: might exacerbate it, but like in this city, and again, I say all of this in with the disclaimer that I would n- not trade any other sports markets or oh, no, sports not at all. Not like I, all. I I enjoy it it can be very emotionally exhausting <laughs> but I, I I like it and and you know I, I wouldn't change it but it's interesting too you know I mean it's it's worth dissecting because while I don't think that Philadelphia fans and, and the city of Philadelphia itself are to blame for some of the futility you know, that has plagued the city. I can also see, and I thought about it when I actually thought about it while standing there watching Nelson Aguilar mobbed by reporters a couple of days after he, he mm-hmm. you know, whatever, had, I don't even think it was a meltdown, but let's call it his meltdown since right. that's what, what it's been portrayed as, you know, I thought to myself like, dude, this is why it's hard to play in Philadelphia. Yes. It's not the negativity. Like this town isn't nearly as negative as New York. where like, I, I forget someone, I don't know if they said it to me or, 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 if I just read it on Twitter, but you know, like everyone gets fired by the New York tabloids at some point yes. in there. You know, yeah. uh, I think it was just recently this week. Like, yeah, the, Todd
0: Bowles got fired by the Post right. and the Daily News, which yeah. is
1: a, which somebody called a rite of passage for every New York coach in his first year with the team. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's not Philadelphia. Like, no. like w- Philadelphia is the it's the microscope. It's the it's the oppressive full court press yes. on some on issues that don't necessarily warrant it. And it's why so many athletes, like, express the frustration. Like, dude, you got, like, Lane Johnson. Like, you know, like Nelson Aguilar. Like, again, we're talking about a number two wide receiver on a bad team in the first year under a head coach and a guy who expressed frustration after a game. Yeah. It turned into a week-long... Like mental health issue, yeah, you know, and I think one of Doug Peter, one of the very legitimate criticisms of Doug Peterson, you know, which if I was advising him personally, I I would tell him, dude, just stop talking, you know, like because he almost, you can't help but buy into it because if everybody's asking you questions about Nelson Aguilar, like at some point you're like, all right, I, you know, I don't want to be that guy who's like. The irrational person, you know, you know, trying to hold back the, uh, you know, with the guy with his finger in the bike, well, you know, that, like that's interesting, like too, because it's like, like you shape his opinion. Where yes. It's like, yeah, well, I guess maybe he is a little, you know, you know, uh, volatile or like maybe we should do something, you know, same thing with the Huff stuff where it's like people like. Batter you so hard on one issue, like eventually you're going to be like, all right, guys, you, you know, you're right, you're right. I, I can see where you're coming from, you and, know.
0: But the, the the what's interesting, and that about just feeds that, it any more even yeah. more.
1: And then the headlines like Doug Peterson says, Bleh, you know,
0: what's interesting about that, and this gets back to your the line you've used before about how much Philadelphia sports fans and media care about press conferences, is there is definitely a strain within the media in this town that, and and media is like this, are like this everywhere in every city. They want openness, they want forthcoming. But Philadelphia looks at that as emblematic of a coach-slash-executive-slash-player's exactly. character. Sam Hinkie was a bad guy because he didn't talk on the radio or talk to sports writers. Uh, Andy Reid was a bad guy because he would say, you know, i got to put our players in a better position to make plays. Um, you know, Brett Brown is a good guy which he seems to be mm. but he's inherently a good guy because he stands up there and emotes like he's a character in a in a one man David Mamet play. I mean it's it's that's the wrong standard by which to judge whether someone is good at their job or not. And we do that all the time. And and because of the microscope, the more We, you know, and the combination of the microscope and that solicitousness, we want the openness so that we can keep the microscope there. It makes it that much harder for these guys to kind of fulfill our expectations, to succeed.
1: And that's what I was actually going to say. I never actually got around to saying it. We we define players in this town, going back to for who, for what, Mm -hmm. by what they They say say in the media, oftentimes, and this is the most unfair part, in the... Immediate aftermath of a game when the when the correct answer to any question is ask me tomorrow. I'm too pissed off right now to talk about (laughs) it. That's right. Or let me look at the film. I I really have no idea if that's what you saw. Maybe that's what happened. Right. Uh, You know. And then and this happened this week more than anything. Where it's like, well, dog, you you know, you said after the game it was a mechanics problem. You know, why'd you flip flop? You know, where it's like he didn't flip flop. He just was talking 15 minutes after he'd watched you know, 22 men on a large 100-yard field standing on the sidelines while trying to juggle, essentially, Mm -hmm. you know? like, And you're asking him to, like, you're holding him to account for, for every little observation he makes, you know, 15 minutes afterwards.
0: I'll give you three examples that prove your point. Number one is the one you just referenced, Ricky Waters. The for who, for what thing is remembered more in this town than the fact that during his years here, exactly, Ricky Waters was a tremendous football player. Look at his numbers, look at what that team did while he was here. with Ty Detmer and Rodney Pete as your quarterbacks, and Ray Rhodes as your head coach, the Eagles went to the playoffs twice and won a playoff game the first year, okay? with an incredible offensive output. okay? Waters was a tremendous football player for the Eagles for the short time he was here. And that gets lost because of for who for what.
1: And Donovan, McN- what is the thing that people,
0: my second example. Donovan McNabb threw four touchdown passes in a 2002 game on a broken ankle. On a broken ankle. Nobody ever talks about it. When you bring it up, you say, well, it was against the Arizona Cardinals. He should throw four touchdown passes (laughs) on a broken ankle. Okay. Do you know why it doesn't get brought up? For the third example, which was when Carson Wentz got drafted by the Eagles, there's an essay slash press release that he quote-unquote writes on the Players' Tribune, I believe it was, that talks about how he loves playing in the cold weather and growing up in North Dakota and, and you know, you're, you're the frozen ground. And people went gaga for it. He hadn't played it down for them yet. They didn't know anything about Carson Wentz other than the Eagles had taken him. And it was, oh, I love this guy because he gets it. He says it. I mean, he hasn't done anything yet. He hadn't done anything yet, but he, he said it.
1: And there's a more there's actually a more concrete moment with McNabb, it's the overtime thing when he didn't know overtime. Yes. Like more people will remember that than remember. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like, and we've we've gotten to a point where we've guilted people, we've guilted Donovan McNabb detractors to a point where they'll now at least pay grudging. You know. I, I I thought he was a great quarterback. I was a big McNabb fan, but how do you not know the rules of overtime? You know, like and the air guitar, like we we optics. We 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 focus so much on optics. You know, like yeah. Jimmy Rollins. Thank God Jimmy Rollins said the whole front runners thing yes. before the World Series because that kind of now he said other things afterwards. Yeah. That, but like Aaron Rowan, what's he defined by? You know, for who my team for for what my teammates running into that wall? Yeah. You know, and just time after time, you know, friends, emailers. Tw- Twitterers, tweeters,
0: even media the first members. thing they reference,
1: yeah, yeah, media members to to you know, it, and I understand it's their like for, from the media, it's their job, and mm-hmm. like that's that's the world that, that we live in, um, and, and we tend to like define you know the outside world by, by right. the worlds we live in, but like, like this is like people sitting outside, like my buddy I said last week, my buddy Bill yeah. texting me at midnight, yeah. watch after the Eagles get smoked by Green Bay about Doug Peters's demeanor you know on the podium which again is great yeah. um uh, and funny right cuz he's doing it in a profane way <laughs> but like this week the first thing so many people referenced when they emailed me or commented on my stories or tweeted me was an observation on Doug Peterson's demeanor at the podium yes. it was i watched this i listened to what this guy do you see that guy up there on 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 monday like yeah. how can you say this is an nfl coach yeah. you know and it, and it's just such a
0: it's either and it's either reaction or presumption. For instance, go back to the 2005 Super Bowl. What was the big controversy coming out of the 05 Super Bowl between the Eagles and the Patriots? Did Donovan throw up or yeah. not? Now, what's what's hilarious about that discussion to me and it remains true to this day is within Philadelphia, that discussion was always framed in a totally negative fashion for Donovan he must have thrown up because he was nervous right at the end it, within the Super Bowl right he had to be nervous he's he's puking his guts up because he's got stage fright or something whereas and I can I can say this because I talked to other writers and media members outside of the market the impression outside of Philadelphia was holy cow this guy took such a beating that he was throwing up on the field and he was still out there throwing three touchdowns against a dynastic opponent nobody looked at it the other way nobody looked at it like donovan McNabb stinks because he's barfing during the super bowl everybody looked at it like this guy is giving every ounce of his being during the game and we're supposed to be the town that that wants that from its athletes and and we chose not to see it yeah
1: and it it it, it's amazing it really is and i and again, I think it only plays a marginal role, but I think it does play a real role where you do have to have a certain mentality to succeed in this town to block that because that stuff like it,
0: it, it seeps in. It
1: seeps in and it wears on you, and it and it and it you know it it gets you to question yourself, you yes. know, and it and it, it I don't know, and I and that's what I worry about, not worry about, but like like I'm not sure if there's any criticism of Doug Peterson that I would say from observing him and listening to him. It's that
0: he lets that stuff in.
1: He's just not gonna last, you know, because he like seems to take his interactions, you know, with the media at like not 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 personally like he's offended by them, but he like he's too honest almost, you know, where it's like you can see
0: you can see the gear. I feel like you can see the gears turning in his head where he's saying, "Should I, I?" His impulse is to answer something honestly, and he has to stop himself, and he doesn't always to say the thing that he should say rather than the like, thing he wants to and say. And I
1: think, to tie it all together, like I think that was a huge mistake on his part to acknowledge the questions about effort. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you heard... I, now I The clip I heard of Fletcher Cox, I think, was after the game. I don't think it was after that... It couldn't have been after that Monday press conference, right? Because I don't think there was availability. Which, which clip are you talking about? Well, he said, he said essentially... Now I don't know if he was talking about effort or people questioning them getting to the quarterback, but he was like, you know, I don't. It surprises me to hear that. Essentially, um, hmm. you know, I, I thought think, I
0: think it was a clip immediately after the game. I okay,
1: think. but it was it was it was portrayed in a way. Whoever whoever ran that clip portrayed it as here's Fletcher Cox reacting to questions about effort. Mm-hmm. It was essentially Fletcher Cox saying, you know, uh, you know, we always talk about you know playing hard for our teammates, and that surprises me that somebody would say that. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, but like, it, it almost strikes me as Doug Peterson acknowledging the question just to like throw the media just because he's been asked enough about it that it's like okay yeah maybe some of my players didn't play hard mm-hmm. you know, um, I mean maybe maybe it is him calling out his his players. I just don't think it does any good to allow that stuff. Like Andy Reid was always very good at like stonewalling right and, and protect. He did it to protect his players right. You know he would he would n- not entertain. Your speculations, your probing questions, your, and he would not let it get to him. He would, And that's why he got a lot of heat in this town, because right. it came across as gruff, arrogant. arrogant yeah. what Like, How know, dare he sit on his all. throne and not, and yeah, not entertain our exactly. questions. Exactly. But but Chip Kelly, had, it had just the opposite effect with him talking. And, and I feel like Doug – I think it has a – I think Andy Reid's mentality is the mentality you have to have in this town, because people are going to grumble no matter what, unless you go 16-0 and, and, and win mm-hmm. the Super Bowl. And I think – you know, you you'd do worse to model yourself after bill Belichick. And I think that's why he does it too, because it doesn't, there is no reward when you do a cost benefit analysis of being honest with the media uh, and speaking your mind and speaking at all, it, it comes out heavily against yeah. you. You yeah. know, it, all it can do is, is lead to problems. And, you know, I think that, I think that Peterson would be wise to, cause he, cause he get, cause he does then give the impression of contradicting himself, of being unsure of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, He's not a great public speaker, but I you know, I think he's very I think he, I enjoy listening to Doug Peterson talk and I think he impresses upon me a knowledge of the game, put yeah. it that way. Yeah. Um and I think a lot of it in a weird way is him taking the the heat for his players. He, they know that their cornerbacks stink, right. you know. Right. of course. You've course never hear do. Doug Peterson said that. Jim Schwartz said it, which yeah. I think <laughs> is another reason why he's not yeah. necessarily a head coach candidate right, right. now. But uh, like like Jim Schwartz can't help himself from blaming problems with this that could be blamed on his when people are blaming Jim Schwartz I think he seems like a guy who's going to at least subtly point you in the direction of the players yeah. who are not executing properly yes. where I coach good they play right, bad whereas Peterson I don't think has ever really done that and no. it's always been you know Frank Reich is Mr. Positive mm-hmm. you know never said a bad word about anything but I think that's the way if you're going to talk that's the way you have to be um I just think Peterson would be he's just not going to help himself by talking no. given given uh, you know the emphasis we place on what we see and hear in this town.
0: I agree. So, Doug, shut up for your own good.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, like how can you fire a guy after a year who's not
0: unless he's completely incompetent in every regard, yeah. which Doug has not shown himself to be.
1: No, and I, and I, and we've talked about this. I think that the the, the biggest his biggest quality people don't even pay any don't pay attention to at all, which is his play calling. You mm-hmm. know, and and. Okay, you can argue that you shouldn't have a run pass option on on third and nine against the Bengals. I'm not talking about micro stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about. I think he in that three and zero start in that whatever whatever they were. Mm -hmm. You know, they beat the Steelers, they beat the Vikings, they beat the Falcons. You know, like, and those teams aren't too far ahead of the Eagles right now in the standings.
0: Right, and you have to take into consideration when you're evaluating him in that regard. What does he have to work with? Is he trying to scheme his way around limitations? You know that he has from a personnel standpoint.
1: And I think that, to to go back to kind of what we – not to pat ourselves on the back, but I think what we've realized more than anything against the Bengals in particular is how far away this roster is talent-wise from being able to compete. Because what happened against the Bengals was a team showing – one team showing that their crappy players were way better than another team's crappy Mm -hmm. players. Because that was not a coaching loss. That was just – Players beating players. That was yeah. Brandon LaFell beating Jalen Mills. Yes. That was, you know, Rex Burkhead running over Vinnie Curry. Yeah. You know, that was, you know, there's just not a lot to get excited about talent-wise in this team. And I think now more, I don't know how, I think Doug Peterson should be lauded. Put this, way, I think he should be lauded for for milking five wins out of this disgraceful <laughs> lot. Like, I think that Chip Kelly in the long run will be looked back on and be like, oh, wow, he won seven games with that. Crap! Yeah, pile of a team. Yeah, I mean, look at the, go position by position. None of these cornerbacks right now are NFL cornerbacks. You know, um, Connor Barwin is missing in action. Um, you know, you've got Benny Logan, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Jordan Hicks, Nigel Bradham has played well, but everywhere else is a vacancy. I mean, you're talking about a second string offensive line, no running back. Mm-hmm. Which you want to know why they're throwing the ball sixty times a game, But beside the fact that they're down twenty nothing. They don't have a guy who can stay on his feet. No, Wendell Small was not good. No,
0: um, Kenyon Barner. Yeah, I don't know why he's not getting the ball. At he least must a not bit be more. able to
1: pass protect yeah. at all. Because he's, I mean, and I'm not a big Kenyon Barner fan, but he's clearly the best runner right now. Uh, yes. when At least when Ryan Matthews is hurt, you know. And then the receivers. I mean, you know, we all know about that, and I think we saw on Sunday how far ahead of. The other guys Jordan Matthews is, even yes. if Jordan and that's saying something. Yeah, exactly. Jordan because Matthews is a nice, he's solid an player,
0: spectacular receiver, but he
1: isn't. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like they're they're not missing him. Like they're missing like the Bengals miss AJ. He he does not. They don't lose the dimension that right. the Bengals lose with AJ Green. Exactly. Put it that way. So, you know that's. I guess that's my defense of Doug Peterson.
0: That's fine. I I think it, uh, cool your jets sort and of. And he's got great hair. He does. You got to defend his hair. We can't overlook. He, he lo- it's Richard Gear s. No, you
1: know what he looks like. He looks like the guy on like the Grecian commercial
0: yeah, or like no, but, the, uh, just yeah. for
1: men commercial where it's just like this. Per- you should like, he should be a hair model. You know,
0: he looks like the guy in like the TV movie. Who, yes. Absolutely. You know, is the lead. He's, he's yeah. like the, the guy who once was on a popular TV show and has fallen, uh, you know, I wouldn't even say popular. Of, I would say like
1: a soap opera.
0: Yeah. Like fallen into obscurity a little bit. and Now he's on the TV yeah. movie circuit sort of thing.
1: I can't believe I, that is honestly, that's, that's what I've been looking for. Like, that's exactly how I feel about it. He looks like he was like on uh, the Hallmark Hall of. He's he's yeah. like the uh, he's like the uh, he's the lead old in the love Walmart interest Christmas, on the Hallmark Hall you know, of Fame. Movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All so. right, we'll talk about that next. Maybe, maybe we'll do Angela Lansbury and break yeah. them.
0: Down- <laughs> All right, thanks for listening, everyone.